you know, there's sort of two principal parties at play when we're talking about technology like this. There is the practitioner and everything that goes on around them, you know, whether it's a single practitioner practice or a large healthcare delivery system. Um, and sort of that's that's one stakeholder group. But, you know, sort of on the other side, you've got the patients. Hello, welcome to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. And if you are running an innovative healthcare company, you're looking at making your mark in the world, launching into the market, uh, and you want to develop an effective, succinct, and unique positioning strategy for your, maybe it's a technology company, maybe it's a device, maybe it's a SaaS company, maybe it's just an innovative treatment method, then I would encourage you to go check out our latest offering at RehabU, the Healthcare Positioning Alignment Workshop. Basically, what we do is we help you understand and develop your value to whom answer, as we call it. Once you develop that answer or have an answer for value to whom, you have a clear idea of how your technology or device or software or your innovative treatment solution is positioned to solve the problems faced by the specific stakeholders in healthcare that you are targeting with your service solution, et cetera. Obviously, healthcare is very complex. No secret there, right? And the four stakeholders in healthcare all view things uh, differently, right? They come to it from a different value perspective. So what we aim to do with the positioning alignment workshop is we help you position this service, this technology, this product, whatever it is, within the minds of those specific stakeholders you're targeting. We help you answer really what is the unique value that this tool, software, whatever, provides to this specific stakeholder, this specific audience within the healthcare industry, whatever segment you happen to be working in. Um, check it out, positioning.rehabupracticesolutions.com. If you want to learn more, that's positioning dot rehab you practice solutions dot com if you want to just learn more about us and what we do just head on over to the website it's rehab you practice solutions dot com um, check us out read uh, read the articles check out the videos read how we help people and and that's that's that all right this week I have said many times on this podcast and when talking with clients that Really, a lot of the value in healthcare technology is in and around the data that it helps generate and synthesize and basically empowers clinicians um, to make decisions, both administratively but also clinically, to further and advance the, the cause of their patients. So what I mean by that is <clears throat> a lot of times we collect a lot of data in healthcare or have been for for years basically since things began moving digital and for a long time that data was not very uh, usable you know we were just collecting a bunch of a bunch of nondescript raw data um, and we really didn't have a good way of making that uh, or making good decisions based off of that data i remember working one time for the Department of Veterans Affairs, and I was in their uh, one of their leadership development programs, and one of our projects involved reducing the amount of time that it took patients to get from primary care to orthopedics or some specialty unit, uh, specifically for, for musculoskeletal pain and the like. That was my clinical area of focus, so it just made sense for me to do that. And I remember thinking about we were we were going to make some changes to the process and then we we're going to kind of track clinical outcomes but then also the, a function of time and accessibility and utilization within the various clinics and they said okay well now you're going to go down to the data room and you're going to meet with one of our guys and they're going to help pull the data for you 
that you're going to need or that will be helpful, that might be helpful in making some of these decisions and putting some of these policies in place. And I remember going down there and it's like, um, you know, a long hallless corridor uh, down, you know, you're passing several doors, lights are flickering, uh, very much like a, like a movie, like we're either going to get stabbed in here or something very comedic is going to happen. And we went into this, this room and there's like, six people working on these computers that in my mind like were from the stone age and they're pulling like spreadsheets or excel documents from across the entire va healthcare network so you know thousands of clinics thousands of patients tens of thousands if not millions of encounters and um they're trying to sift through this data and it was just very cumbersome one of the things that technology has allowed us to do even just recently over the last several years is take a lot of that data and actually make it usable like what is what is valuable in the data how do we track it how do we display it in a way that clinicians can make informed decisions that better the lives of their patients the the value in technology at least as i see it being employed in healthcare one of the main values is that it helps make some of this data usable it makes it um it basically helps synthesize and display it in a way that is actually effective for making and basing decisions off of so um, this week i'm very excited to share a conversation with you that i had with leah and mike from fizzy track and i'll link to both of their linkedin profiles and fizzy track and all of that in the show notes, you can head on over to RehabUPracticeSolutions.com or BetterOutcomes.show. Click on the link and it'll send you to the, the show notes where you can where you can see all that. Uh, but we have a conversation specifically around this idea of using technology within the, the, the context of like an ecosystem, but then using it as a way to both improve transparency for the clinician, for the stakeholder, for the administrator, and using it to be able to base healthcare decisions on. So we talk about tracking, we talk about the, the role and importance of patient engagement is one of the, the things that they focus on, the areas that they focus on within the context of, of like home exercise programs and how you can assign a patient a program and is the patient completing the treatment or are they not? We wanna make sure that we have that data so that we understand, okay, it's not so much that our treatment is ineffective as that the patient is not engaged or our treatment is, a, is not effective because the patient has been very engaged over the last several weeks and they haven't noted any improvement. So now we need to go back to the drawing board and adjust what we're doing, whether it be in the clinic, whether it be remotely on the home exercise program, but being able to have clarity around that, uh, being able to have clarity around the, the data and how we're gonna use it is very, very helpful and it comes from kind of understanding the or taking a look at the approach of looking at technology not as just a tool that we're going to use here a tool that we're going to use there something that's going to increase a workflow efficiency on this side of the equation but really looking at it all as a big giant as an ecosystem and maybe they maybe your specific clinical workflow or your specific clinical situation doesn't mean that it's all on one ecosystem by one provider but you do need to take a look at all the different maybe vendors that you have, the different solutions that you have in place in your clinic and how they work together to give you a full and complete picture of your clinical uh, efficacy, your, your cost, your transparency, the way your patient engagement, the way that what your clinicians are doing is resulting in outcomes over here for your patients. So without further ado, here's uh, Mike and Leah from PhysiTrack talking about the ecosystem um, approach to digital healthcare technology implementation in the clinic. Well, hey, Leah and Mike, welcome to the show. How are y'all? Good. Hey, how are you? Doing all right. Um, I'm excited to talk to you about PhysiTrack and everything y'all have going on. But before we do, why don't we start, uh, Mike, with you, and then we'll move on to you, Leah. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to what you're doing now with PhysiTrack. Yeah, great. So thanks for having us. So um, broadly speaking, I met uh, the co-founders of PhysiTrack, gosh, about 10 years ago, a little bit after the company started. I was working for a large uh, US-based rehab company in, as a VP of ops, and we were doing some interesting clinical programs, looking to gather clinical data, 
and old methods weren't working. We said, gosh, there's got to be an app for that. And so we started looking at different solutions that were on the market or on the horizon to help us, you know, gather patient data to try to see if we could get better what we we're planning to do there. And so I met the co-founders of Physitrack. Uh, up until that point, I had really been in healthcare operations for many years, uh, most recently at that time in the rehab space. And um, we've fostered a good relationship. We started doing a little bit of work with them as a company. Um, and then, you know, a few years later, I, lo and behold, I, I came to work for Physitrack. You know, I guess I've been with the company going on uh, eight years now. And, you know, the company was founded uh, a little over 10 years ago by by two entrepreneurs, one a very successful tech entrepreneur, another one a very uh, sort of successful business person in finance and investing. And they had a good idea based on, you know, one of their family members going to get a really expensive knee surgery and being handed, you know, the the, the horrible sticky note piece of paper with some stick yeah. figure drawings, as we all know. And so that sort of begot the idea of maybe there's an app for this. And so, you know, they enlisted the help of some friends that were clinicians in the US, in the UK and Australia to sort of help them with this project. And sort of the rest is history. We've now grown into a company of 135 plus employees operating in two divisions with customers in over 150 different countries and growing. And the platform is, you know, an umpteen number of different languages. And, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of building and growing based on how the market demands are are evolving. And so excited to be part of this discussion. And um, that's kind of the, 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 the background. Yeah, awesome. And Leah, how about you? Yeah, so I have been with PhysiTrack for almost two years now. Um, I'm a physical therapist by trade, and I actually came to PhysiTrack because I was a small practice owner in Massachusetts, and my family and I were basically in process of moving to New Jersey, so couldn't really take the practice with me. I had actually used PhysiTrack a little bit in my own clinical experience and really liked the product, and so once I kind of got to talking with uh, Mike and some of the other higher-ups, uh, it just seemed like a really good fit. I needed a remote sort of solution. So sort of took a detour from clinical practice, but it's been very, very cool sort of learning about the tech side of the healthcare industry. So my role in the company has been sort of the physical therapist, uh, you know, ear to the wall and yeah. uh, boots on the ground, talking with customers of all sizes. And uh, I've been pretty heavily involved with um, discussions on RTM, remote therapeutic monitoring. So that's sort of my background. Awesome. Cool deal. And maybe... I don't know how we want to off the offline. We had talked last time about like approaching healthcare technology has very, for the most part, has been like, oh, we're going to get a tool and it's going to do this. You're going to do, you know, a feature that's going to help you with X, Y, Z. Um, but Mike, you talked about looking at healthcare or tech enabled care from the viewpoint of an ecosystem rather than just a tool or just a plug in. Um, why don't you talk to us a little bit about about that, kind of what you mean by the ecosystem and how that helps kind of shape the way clinicians should be thinking about implementing tech in practice? Yeah, absolutely. So happy to broach that subject, but maybe let me go one layer up and, and pardon me okay. for not sort of giving this in the introduction, you know, because everything will anchor to to what I'm about to talk talk about. So our company is based in sort of two divisions, as I mentioned. One in the in the wellness and, and well-being space, which is a mainly Euro European and UK-based business. And then we've got what we call our life care business, which is technology and software that helps clinicians better reach patients. But all of that within the company is sort of rooted in our mission, which is elevating the world's well-being. And so if in within our life care division, we can help one clinician every day better reach one patient, we've sort of worked towards that mission. In our wellness and well-being, same thing. If we can help one individual through a software or resource tool find health or wellness information um, to, you know, answer whatever questions or, or help whatever is is needed, then we've again accomplished that mission. And so, kind of getting getting to your question, the reason that we've always sort of looked at um, the ecosystem thinking and and you know that that's one word platform is another that there's many different ways of sort of positioning this but you know th there are sort of two principal parties at play when we're talking about technology like this there is the practitioner and everything that goes on around them you know whether it's a single practitioner practice or a large healthcare delivery system 
Um, and sort of that's that's one stakeholder group. But, you know, sort of on the other side, you've got the patient stakeholder. And, you know, you have to address the needs of both of those um, stakeholders or both of those groups or parties or else you're only sort of doing half the bidding or, or, or half the job. And so coming to sort of the side of the practitioner, the healthcare delivery system, the ecosystem kind of thinking is, is you have to have, first of all, all the tools that a clinician might need. So a collection of tools that a clinician yeah. might have sort of easily and readily available at their fingertips. Um, you know, you can't just say, here's one hammer and use this hammer when and if you need it. Um, it you have to be a little bit more strategic than that and say, listen, clinician or clinicians, whoever it is you're serving, what is it that you need and how are you servicing and helping your patients using technology? And then what can we provide within that within that toolbox in an easy and integrated fashion so that you can have them when you need them? And so our thinking has always been around that, which is how can you make the job of the practitioner easier and how do we make it easier for them to connect to that patient um, sort of with what they need on a per patient or ca per case basis. The same thing goes on the patient side. Uh, you know, you guys have, have been in private practice. You've seen this happen, you know, over and over again, where you've got a practice or a business that has, you know, an experience, a different experience for the patient, depending upon what the tool is. Hey, so by the way, if you want to pay your bill or schedule, log in here. And then if you want to get to your home exercise program, log in here, outcome measures, so on and so forth. Right. And so what ends up happening is, you're firing a bunch of tools at, at patients, which ends up potentially confusing them, which drives poor engagement, you know? So if if you're not sort of strategic about how you're approaching the patient and making the UX or user experience uh, easy, then, you know, you're sort of doing a disservice to whatever it is you're trying to deploy. Yeah. Well, and I, like you said, I can't remember how many clinicians I've worked with or talked with over the years, and we've seen it in our own practice. like, man, we, it would be really nice for these two systems to like single sign on or to be able to talk to each other even because there's just, I'm not a tech guy, but I know like they should be able to integrate, right? And it's very difficult that they don't. And sometimes it does lead to a vastly different experience. And how does, like, do y'all have any data on that? Like if it's two different sign-ons, you're going to get some drop off between, you know, the patient, you know, check, booking an appointment and following up later, or is it just kind of a general understanding of like, Friction is friction and it's not good for anybody. Yeah, so friction is absolutely friction, not good for anybody. But, you know, in terms of data, two sides of the coin, again, practitioner, healthcare system side and patient side, we know based on a lot of data, you talk about, you know, tens of thousands of logins, you know, over a quarter. We know that a practitioner clinician who uses our systems in an integrated fashion, you know, within their information system, within their EMR, uses more, stays longer, and engages with their patient at a higher rate. Um, you know, I don't want to get to, you know, but but it's at least two X on all of those, right? So you get a happier, better using, stickier practitioner user if they are using our system integrated with another solution. On the patient side. Well, that data is a little bit all over the board because it depends, you know, yeah. what what's the healthcare system? What is the digital experience that that healthcare system is driving, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so with some of the really forward thinking and progressive companies we work with, we're talking about large nationally renowned hospital systems, you know, when they have um, clear strategies and they've built like really good systems, you know, we're getting engagement rates 82, 83%. Um, when we're embedding or, or living inside of their patient yeah. portal or whatever their solution is. And so you know, the, the trick is always um, making sure that you're making the experience easy for the practitioner and for the patient. All of that will then drive better metrics. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, doing some research for a presentation a while back and it's like, I think the numbers are somewhere in the neighborhood of like 80% of big hospital systems or more use uh, patient portals and like 15%, 15 to 30% of patients use it. So even then there's like a big, a big barrier, but what about like clinicians using technology? Cause it is a two-sided coin, right? You get the patient side and then the clinician side. What are some of those challenges that y'all have seen on the clinician side implementing technology? Is it like a, 
um, a workflow issue? Is it just a change issue? I always like to joke, like if you tell your, the clinicians you're going to move the, the clock from the right side of the clinic to the left side, you're going to have mayhem on your hands. So I'm sure it's a little bit of both, but kind of what are the biggest challenges you see when you implement or try you try to implement some kind of technology or some kind of platform or something within the clinical uh, clinical context? Yeah, I think Leah would be great to answer this one. She can give you the like the the real real on that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think we actually really see it go one of two ways in that, um, you know, we get either the direct the rehab director or the clinic owner or the hospital administrator that that contacts us and they will basically want to have a system like this that they're basically saying we've already made this decision. We're just trying to figure out which system we're going to use. And then they basically roll it out and force their clinicians to use it, which it either happens or it doesn't. Yeah. And there's either repercussions for not using it. Or we've seen it go the other way where it's really a therapist that has found the system because it served a need that they were looking for and they've fallen in love with it and they sort of champion it and try and try and try and try and try to basically run it up the chain and get you know their owner to agree to maybe pay for licenses or roll it out more broadly so i think some of the limitations with it you know it can come from either like the top down or the bottom up and some of the limitations can be seen either direction in that if it's a champion who's just a therapist that wants to use it, they might not be able to get it paid for there if if the owner or the person who's holding the purse string, so to speak, doesn't see the value in it or doesn't understand what the therapist's needs are, they're not going to approve that. So the therapist is sort of left, you know, they can use it, but maybe they're paying for the license themselves so that it's not that attractive of an option or something like that. Or the therapists really don't care about it one way or another, but they're being forced by their yeah, hospital their administrators, <laughs> their boss are, is telling them that they have to. So I think some of the biggest challenges that we see is there's always sort of a strange mix of people who really want to use it and are behind using it um, versus the people that are like sort of just along for the ride and being being strung along, so to speak. Um, but we also see the the third side of it is the patient. You know, we see a lot of demand uh, that the patients really want to experience some form of digital engagement or even remote care that they are really, especially with the COVID pandemic, they had the opportunity to engage with digital systems. And I think a lot of people have realized it's a important part to suit their lifestyle. If they're busy, if their schedules are crazy, you know, work restrictions, childcare restrictions, the patients have had the taste of that and they are also demanding it. So I think we see it coming in from three sides and there's challenges uh, depending on who it's coming from and where it has to go for approval. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because we, we are in the world where like you can pick up your phone and do Uber Eats and get, you know, food delivered where you want to. And there's like in the patient's mind, they don't see the difference. They're like, I can do this on my phone to like schedule a ride or get some food. Like it should be the same, like accessing care, but it's, it's a much different beast in healthcare for sure. You know, one thing, if, if, if I can add to that a little bit, so the importance that the way we think about it when we talk to different healthcare systems or different customers, big, big or small, they all sort of exist in on a continuum, right? So this, we, we talk about it as sort of the, the digital evolution continuum. Um, you know, there's there's kind of this, and it's been well published in, in, in digital in general, right? Not just in healthcare. There's sort of this concept where uh, the evolutionary process is sort of punctuated by what they call digitization, digitalization, or digital transformation. And healthcare is no different, right? Digitalization is you're really just digitizing or digitalizing information, right? So taking something from a piece of paper, now putting it into a computer or database, right? So that's digitization. Digitalization is organizations and, and clinicians that are really looking to change their processes, their fundamental processes using digital, right? So I'm going to really change my practice and or the way I interact with patients with digital. And then you get sort of more advanced or more strategic organizations that are transforming things, you know, where they're really just creating entire clinical models or, or business models around digital. And what we have seen um, in that continuum, right, sort of that, that um, sophistication of digital sophistication of a customer has always been true for us, but it really was laid to bear and accelerated with COVID, like, like Leo was talking about, right? So uh, during COVID, you had a lot of organizations that were, that had to change, that had to evolve, that were forced to digital because it was, you know, 
it, it was a, a bit of a survival uh, reaction. And also, you know, I have patients that have needs. I have to figure out a way to reach them. So that drastically accelerated people's plans and thinking around this. And what was laid out after that was, you know, you had payers that were willing to pay for a lot of these services and, and modify rules and regulations around it. Check, right? So that's a good thing. You had patients, as Leah was talking about, that had a taste of, you know, life during, you know, pandemic or pre-pandemic. You, you know, you have the Uber Eats and, and those kinds of ease of use phenomenons. And, and so what we learned there is that patients absolutely have an appetite for getting some of their care digitally. And sort of what we're talking about here today is really kind of the provider side, the practitioner side. Why is that sort of the last part of the of the um, sort of stakeholder continuum to come along? And that's because change is hard. It's difficult to change the way that you operate clinically or the way you interact with patients. But that's sort of what we do on a day-to-day basis. We have to figure out a given customer, where are they in sort of this sophistication continuum, digital continuum, and how open are they to change? As Leo was describing, you get some of them that are like, listen, I'm just going along to get along and I really, you know, help me, but I don't know what I'm doing. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have organizations that are, you know, driving um, transformative change with technology. And so we're always trying to assess where someone is on that continuum and how can we help them? Yeah. Yeah, I want to highlight what you you said something that I've been thinking this for a while, but there are organizations that see the technology that's available to us today. And instead of just thinking, oh, we're going to take what we're doing now and put it online, or we're going to take our normal way of doing business and we're just going to, you know, integrate telehealth or maybe secure messaging or something. Like there are people that are and like forward thinking organizations that are looking at what we've got available at our fingertips and they're saying, okay, like how does this change the way that we deliver care? Like what what business models are out there? What, you know, maybe it's a value-based arrangement or alternative payment models. Like I'm a big, big believer that the the technology that's filtering through, especially in the in the MSK space like this, like um into healthcare opens the doors for not just doing the same thing that we're doing now online, but really changing the way care is delivered. And it seems like y'all are y'all are seeing that in this in the spectrum. You've got uh, maybe customers or client organizations that are like, oh, no, we're going to do what we're going to do online. But then you've got the other ones that are like, okay, this is going to radically change the way you know, let's call it physical therapy is is delivered, right? Absolutely, that, that's one hundred percent true, and you know what we have the um, pleasure of doing is working with a lot of smart people at a lot of really great health organizations that are driving this change, right? So it's not like we're coming to them saying, we have all of your answers, here it is. It, it's it's a collaborative process when you get engaged with with these customers where you're, whereby you're listening to what it is their needs are and how are they looking to transform what they're doing and then how can we help? You know, so th- they're driving the change. The, the the change makers are driving the change. We're just really working to to help them. Yeah. Well, I think we've talked about this before and maybe offline or something like that. But how about like the data itself? Because whenever technology is implemented, I mean, you're gathering data, whether it be user data or outcomes data or whatever. And I'm sure PhysiTrack has access to all of that. When it comes to outcomes and patient engagement specifically, how can data help improve maybe financial or business metrics on the on the like the the business side of things or clinical quality or the 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 clinical outcomes that are being delivered? Yes, yeah, so Leah, I don't know if you want to take it sort of from the clinical perspective, and then I can sort of talk a little bit about maybe kind of the the at scale or or the the strategic side. Yeah, for sure. I think, again, starting sort of from the ground up, uh, we were talking before about sort of the tools a clinician has in the toolbox that you sort of have a lot of things at your disposal when you have a patient that comes into the office, right? Um, So if you have, you may have manual therapies, you have therics, you have modalities, and some things are appropriate for some patients and some things aren't appropriate for some patients. And you may really want to do certain things, but if the patient doesn't tolerate it, you have to make other decisions. And I think 
with digital, you know, one of the things that I've always found was a huge tool in my toolbox is patient education. So you need to have the ability to show your patient what, like how they're doing. Are they doing well or are they not doing well? And what are the reasons? Are they not doing well because your treatment is not good or are they not doing well because they're not engaging with it? So I think when you think of the data that a platform like PhysiTrack is collecting, it's, it's a patient engagement platform and it's a home exercise prescription tool that basically you're assigning a program to a patient and saying, I want you to do this, you know, three times a week, four times a week, five times a week. And I can actually pull that up in real time and show my patient how they're doing. So, okay, your pain levels have gone down. Your participation in the program has gone up. You can use that to educate the patient in real time of you're doing well, or I think we've all had that patient that comes in and says, I'm not getting any better. I don't know why I'm not getting any better. And you pull up PhysiTrack and you go, well, you haven't logged into your exercise program in the past three weeks. You know, maybe that's a reason why you're not getting better. So using that data that's coming into the system to educate your patient to then improve your outcomes with that patient, the better your outcomes, the better the patient does, you're going to increase the patient satisfaction. And we know that patient satisfaction measures when they go up. That's someone that if they get injured again or they have another issue, that's going to be return business. That's going to be more referrals that are going to be driven to your business. So it's kind of uh, it's hard to quantify the ROI in those ways. But I think we really see that tools like this is a value add for clinicians and for businesses. And they see that in real time in those types of measures. But that's sort of on, you know, of course, the clinical basis and directly yeah. with a one to one patient. But Mike can kind of talk about the scalability with, you know, how it goes from there. Yeah, so the way we think about data, how we what we've seen and what we've learned, I should say, is we have certain data sets and certain data that we collect, um, and we, you know, we make it available for clinicians who are treating one patient, who are treating a large cohort of patients, or if it's a large healthcare system, all of their patients. So we have the ability to show that, and and there's a lot of value that that is driven from you know, looking at how a clinician is engaging with the patient and how the patient is doing. But what is evolving more and more now is, you know, organizations thinking about data in terms of large data sets, or, or you know, you've probably heard the term many times, data lakes. Organizations are building data lakes, and we, you know, we're always working to contribute to that larger context of a data lake where, you know, a clinician might see a patient um, you know, for some post-surgical, you know, some orthopedic post-surgical um, treatment. And so that's a portion of the data collected around that patient case. And so the more we can be a data facilitator and the more systems can um, work with one another, right? So, in, you know, think of integration or interoperability, that's going to be sort of the the, the continued evolution in this space is the more information you can put into a larger context around around a patient, the more value you're going to drive. You you know, just having data for, you know, rehabilitation is good, but it's not enough. You need a larger yeah. patient, patient context, and you need to be able to have systems that contribute into that larger context. And, and that's what we see happening, um, you know, in many parts of the U.S. and certainly around the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even things like, you know, social determinants of health and being able to track that and you know, draw correlations between even maybe aggregate data among patient uh, populations and things like that, like data does unlock a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Cool. And you yeah. have to be willing to gather it and sort of render it coincidentally, right? Right. Uh -huh. Whatever it is that the clinician's using the system for, any and all data has to be gathered coincidentally and you have to just make it available. It's like water flowing. You just have to let it flow. Yeah. Um, well, and I mean, we've talked a little bit about the patient engagement, but how can just implementing some tech enabled approach, maybe it's online scheduling, maybe it's portals or whatever, how can that kind of digitalization versus digitization help retain patients and engage them throughout their course of care? And this is probably something Leah, you can speak to, cause you've, you might've seen it in practice and you're seeing it now. Like I imagine street uh, reducing the friction obviously is, is great, but um, maybe there's some specific examples you can think of that are like, okay, we implemented this technology and we noticed, okay, some improvement in like retention rates or cancelization or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think honestly, the patient engagement is always something, you know, we use the term compliance, of course, when you're talking about actual rehab care. And I think you need a system that's maybe going to give that patient like those digital taps on the shoulder. So as far as patient engagement, when someone's engaging with a plan of care, you know, again, you can open up that system and see whether or not that client has done their exercise program over the past couple of weeks. And if they haven't, you can go ahead and send them a message and say, hey, we've noticed you're not doing your exercise program. What's going on? Is it too hard? Is it are you having too much pain? I think also using that system, you know, we've all had the situation where the patient, you know, has to cancel because they're either sick or there's been a snowstorm or weather related issues, whatever. Um, You can use that system to kind of send them a message and say, hey, did you need to reschedule because we have patients that sort of fall off the radar? So I think using systems like this to drive that engagement really helps keep those patients on your schedule because you have this connectivity to them within this app system that it's just very easy to reach a handout and you're not playing phone tag with them. And again, going back to that ecosystem, it's all sort of happening in one place. So the patient is not having to say, okay, I need to log in over here to see if I need to schedule or I need to go over here to message with my therapist. It's all kind of happening. And it's just going to be a very quick and easy pop-up that people get busy. They'll forget to call you back. Um, A system like this is really going to help keep those patients in your clinic and complete that course of care, which is going to contribute to that bottom line for the business. Yeah. Well, and that kind of moves us into the whole discussion about like remote therapeutic monitoring and hybrid care. So um, I guess just lay out like what's remote therapeutic monitoring and then how does that move us as clinical organizations to this hybrid care where it's not an either or you're either coming into the clinic or you're getting telehealth but this blended model where it's just par for the course. You may do some digital, there's probably going to be some in clinic and we're going to kind of manage you with all the tools at our disposal versus like this siloed track. I'll, I'll, I'll start with that one. So it's, it's kind of funny, right? So we, we've, um, we've talked about this before Rafi and and we're talking about internally. So we've, as an organization, we've been delivering tools and ecosystem that does remote therapeutic monitoring before the name or acronym existed. yeah, And a lot of that was born out of the fact that in a lot of the larger public healthcare system countries that we operate in, um, the pain points were, I've got dozens of patients on my schedule and I need to figure out a way to be a really good clinical ninja to get out of here in eight hours or, or, or 10 hours within the day. And so they use tools like ours to help um, make use of time, right, to deliver as much quality and as much prescribed care to a patient, prescribed content to a patient so that they could move on to the next patient so they could get through, you know, a very sort of maybe call it heavily booked or overbooked schedule, which would happen on a daily basis. And so that's kind of what what our systems were born out of. Um, and then as time evolved, right, we, um, we got better at it by working with organizations and clinicians that were driving um, remote therapy and monitoring using our systems. And so, you know, sort of bring that into, you know, today's day and age within, um, in the US within RTM, RTM is really about using a tool within the ecosystem to engage with the patient based on whatever their needs are. Maybe, you know, education and periodic telehealth encounters is what it takes to monitor my patient and keep them on their plan of care. Maybe it's, you know, prescribed exercise and outcomes, right? So you can use any combination of, of tools within the system on a case-by-case basis in order to very easily deliver some remote care plan in conjunction with what you're doing in clinic or, or in-house, um, monitor the patient and ultimately try to keep them engaged and satisfied and improving clinically. And so, um, Really, it's 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 all about just using the tools that that each patient may need, and um, sort of working to push your your comfort zones a little bit with what you do clinically. So, Lee, I don't know, I don't know if you you know have a different perspective on it. Yeah, I think the big thing with RTM, which is really interesting, which of course uh, remote therapeutic monitoring being basically a billable, a set of billable codes you could use. So if you are actually monitoring your patient remotely, so they're not in the office, 
there's a certain set of data criteria that you can meet. So, you know, engaging with them and them engaging with your platform 16 days out of 30, out of a 30 day period, you know, initiating telehealth calls, synchronous communications with the patient. There's a set, I know you've talked about this on previous episodes, Rafi, yeah. but there's a set amount of data points that would allow you to bill for these services. And I think what we've really seen and a big question within the industry is like, what is going to be the staying power of RTM and is sort of the juice worth the squeeze? Because what we've really seen with customers is I find, you know, when I, I field a lot of customer inquiries and have a lot of meetings with customers who are interested in RTM, but those customers who are interested in RTM for the sake of RTM and being able to bill RTM tend to not really be be successful with it, but customers who are looking to engage in a digital strategy or, you know, employ these tools in the ecosystem as a bigger part of what they want for their growth plans or for their business expansion or to help their therapists be more productive, using RTM as a, as a component of that overall digital strategy, that tends to be where it's more successful because really what we need to see the customers have is, you know, a penchant for digital health and wanting to get these tools rolled out and have their therapists and their staff members use them appropriately. And if you are able to effectively engage with your patient population, then you can bill for it. And then it's just a win, 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 because you get to add to your bottom line. But I don't know whether or not, like RTM definitely has a lot of, it causes a lot of interest, but I don't know if if you're just interested in RTM for the sake of RTM, I haven't really seen clinics be able to roll it out super successfully. It's more, it needs to be a piece of that overarching strategy. It's good we can bill for it. It's good that we can get paid for it. And it's things that, you know, a lot of therapists have, therapists have been prescribing home exercise programs for forever. It's just a way for us to now be able to have that be part of those billable codes, which is great, but there's quite a large set of data criteria that you need to be able to meet. And then you need to go back and look at the patients to figure out whether or not they're meeting that criteria before you can even bill for them. But realistically, if you have a patient who would benefit from digital health, you should employ it whether or not they hit 16 days is a different question. You may not be able to bill for it, but if you have a 25-year-old post-op ACL that does better with his plan of care because you've had five engagements with him in the month, you should do that. That should be part of how you're treating that patient because that's what best what is best for the patient, uh, but that may or may not qualify as RTM. Yeah, no, I totally, totally agree. I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, well, we're going to implement RTM and it's going to add, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a year, yada, 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 yada. Um, but really the value in RTM is, is that it helps you move towards a hybrid model of care. Like you said, if it, if five interactions is not enough to bill RTM for, but if it's enough to get a patient out the door in three less visits or they're back to, you know, playing sports or going back to work or whatever it is, they're, they're proving it. I think we're thinking too small when you think about the fee for service, like we're going to hit these, these minutes or whatever, and then we'll be able to build these codes. But it opens the door, like we said earlier, to some of these bigger strategic discussions like, okay, well, maybe now we can take lump sum payments for, you know, ACL repairs, or maybe now we can look at some sort of shared savings arrangement with a, with a payer, because now we know that we're able to manage these patients to get them better outcomes quicker. And you know, sure, we're using some of these things that could be built under RTM, but we really don't care about that. We're really caring about creating value in the long run and then how we can monetize that over time. And moving away from that fee-for-service model is going to be piece, a piece of that for sure. Yeah. So I think Leah is like, you guys are spot on with that. Um, and and RTM is great, uh, but it, it's a tactic, Yeah. right? And it has to plug into a larger strategy like Leah is saying, right? So strategy, we always think of, you know, what are you gonna do differently as a business or a clinician or a practice to win? What am I gonna do to win? And the answer may hypothetically be, I'm gonna use, you know, digital tools to stay connected with my patients for longer, right? So I wanna connect with my patients digitally. And how are you gonna do that? Well, I'm gonna do it through these tools, including RTM, right? So that that's a tactic and I think it's a great tactic. And I think a lot of organizations will do well with it, but it has to plug into a bigger plan and a bigger strategy. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, we're getting near the top here. If there's, I always ask this, if there's one or two main points that you might want a listener to walk away with from the show about 
um, implementing technology, about hybrid care, digital care, what would they be? Maybe we'll start with you, Mike, and then we'll move on to you, Leah. Wow. On the spot. So <laughs> <laughs> I would say this, um, learn, explore, uh, ask questions, talk to different organizations, both clinical delivery organizations, peers, colleagues, and uh, companies like ours that, that work with your peers and see what you can learn. Don't just go hunting for a solution or a tool. Think, you know, start start your uh, investigation or your learning a little bit higher. You know, look and see what's out there. What are people doing? And, you know, what can I plug into my organization to change what I do, again, strategically, right? So make bigger, bigger bets, bigger leaps, um, but do it in a way um, because you've educated yourself as to what's out there rather than just say, I heard somebody's using this tool, so this is the direction I'm going to go in. So, ask questions, meet with companies like ours, uh, you know, learn from what others are doing, and then make choices. All right. Yeah, I think uh, I would actually take it back to what we were talking about uh, in the beginning, as far as what kind of stops people from maybe trying these things or making these changes, and the concept that change is really hard. And I was thinking about this a little bit again from just a clinical perspective that you know, we do all this investment in continuing education because we want to serve the needs of the patient, right? So if there's a new surgical, healthcare is always changing. So it's very funny that we as rehab professionals don't like change and we don't like change, but there's always going to be a new surgery or a new protocol or a new modality or something that we need to learn. So in the same way that you would invest in, I'm going to take a Graston course because this is now going to be, again, a tool in my toolbox that I can use to treat my patients, or I'm going to take a dry needling course or whatever it is, digital health is going to serve your patient population. And is it going to be for everybody? No, it's not going to be for everybody in the same way that dry needling isn't for everybody. But I think we should stop being so fearful as clinicians or as clinic owners of, okay, this is another thing I have to learn, or this is something that I have to put time aside to change, because we already are doing that to enhance our clinical practice, to make us have the best tools available to us so we can treat patients and be successful. And this really is just one of those tools in the toolbox. And we don't think of it as clinical. I think it's thought of as more of like a business tool or a reimbursement tool. But again, there are patients, you know, if you have a, a say it's a pelvic floor patient that has had trauma, they might actually be more comfortable doing a telehealth call because they know you're not going to touch them or something. There's tons of examples where digital is really going to be the thing that serves your patient in the same way that if I have a patient that's best suited to go to aquatic therapy and I don't offer that, I'm going to refer them out. So yeah. I think we need to kind of look at it as a tool in that toolbox and not be so skittish around it and not be so fearful and not always feel like we need to push back on it because it's more business than clinical because it's clinical too. Yeah, no, those are great points. That's awesome. Well, um, Leah, Mike, thanks so much. If people want to find out more about you, connect with y'all or learn more about PhysiTrack, where can they do that? PhysiTrack.com. Okay. We're, uh, we're on the web. You can find us there. <laughs> uh, or, of course, I think we've got, uh, we'll have links uh, within your podcast yes. um, website and things like that. So we are not hard to find. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. Thanks, Rafi. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation all about healthcare technology, implementing technology in the clinic, looking at things from an ecosystem perspective. And then one of the things that Leah said at the end, which I think is <clears throat> is really great, and something that we've pushed here at the at the podcast a lot, is the idea of looking at all these things, not so much as an either or when you're talking digital versus in clinic, but really just another tool in the tool belt. Just like just like Leah mentioned, if you've got a patient that could use or benefit from, let's say, aquatic therapy, for example. It's not that it's all aquatic therapy or all nothing for every patient, but this one patient in this particular instance could use aquatic therapy. So if it's a tool that we have in our toolbox at our disposal, we're going to use it. If not, we're going to refer the patient down to somebody who's got it. Same thing with digital. You know, Not every patient that walks in the clinic is going to be 100% remote, um, and they're not going to be a hundred percent in, or they're not going to be a hundred percent in clinic, right? I've always advocated this hybrid approach to healthcare where really it's just 
we're delivering care, whether that be via digitally or in person in the clinic, makes no difference um, in the grand scheme of things. What we're doing is we're trying to, to occupy the role as clinicians of being that knowledge translator. We are providing services, direct healthcare services, but what we're also trying to do, especially where I'm from in the musculoskeletal orthopedic space, is we want to empower patients to become self-managers of their own you know, physical dysfunction or pain or limitation or whatever it is, especially with my work with folks with, with chronic pain. Like it is one of those things that what we, the, the biggest value that I have to bring to the table is that of patient education and empowerment. Um, and digital, uh, digital means to deliver those services can be just as effective as in the clinic. So anyways, thanks to, uh, to Mike and Leah for coming and sharing their perspectives on it. Like I said, we'll link to PhysioTrack, uh, to PhysiTrack and to their uh, perspective uh, LinkedIn profiles on the show notes. So you can head on over to RehabYouPracticeSolutions.com or BetterOutcomes.show to uh, to catch uh, to connect with them, uh, follow up with them on LinkedIn or via email or, or something like that. And the last little plug I will give you is we got a new landing page up for the the book better outcomes a guide to humanizing healthcare which you can find at book.betteroutcomes.show the publisher tells me to direct people to the amazon listing and that's what i'm going to do but uh you can find that at book.betteroutcomes.show basically what i want wanted to do with this book was help people catch a vision for what healthcare should be, even if they think healthcare is broken beyond repair. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in learning and reading about, the book is on Audible. It is also available at Amazon. And in the book, we cover topics basically related to truly patient-centered care. We talk about a biopsychosocial approach to delivery. We talk about patient engagement. I talk about interpersonal communication and developing long-term impactful relationships with patients. Through an exploration of both the clinical research, because I'm a, a former academic there, and real-life examples and cases from my own clinical practice, the book outlines and supports a vision of a new healthcare where skilled, competent, and caring clinicians care for engaged patients to promote better clinical outcomes, deliver unmatched satisfaction and lasting patient relationships. There's also a couple videos on that webpage talking with me talking about uh, the power of relationships in healthcare, talking specifically about what is a biopsychosocial approach. So again, you can find that at book.betteroutcomes.show. That's all I've got for you this week. Until the next time, folks, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.